How many know that the, the word um, love is very misused in our society, right? I, I can say that I love baseball and I love my kids, and I'm talking about two different types of love. I can say that I love God and that I love ice cream. And there's just, we have one word to describe uh, the, this dis- undescriptive way of what we're trying to say. But when we're thinking about why is because the English language really is the problem. The English language is very non-descriptive compared to other world languages. Um, the New Testament was translated in, in Greek, right? And so the Greek language has several words to describe love. There's eros, which is romantic love. There's phileo, and that's brotherly or companion type love. Storge is family type love, infatuation. And then all of a sudden in the New Testament, Jesus really introduces this word agape love. And Paul uses it over and over in in the New Testament that that agape love is God's kind of love. It's it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's servant-driven. And um, it's, but yet, we don't have a way to, to describe that. We can say we fell in love, we fell out of love. What does that even mean? Anyone who knows me, you know how madly I love my wife, Janelle. Like, she's my world. I can't breathe without her. I hate being away from her. And the, the night that, that we got engaged, um, it was cold, and I had the ring in, in my pocket of my my jacket. And I didn't have a plan of how I was going to ask her. I was winging this thing. That's probably not something you should do, but I was winging it. I had no idea where this was headed. And um, the the ring that I gave her was actually my great-grandmother's wedding ring. And my dad's grandfather, he called him Pappy. Pappy's wife, Catherine, um, she got sick, and they had to move from Pennsylvania to Atlanta, Georgia, to, for different weather, so that she, whatever sickness she had, she could function better. And he literally had to like, carry her from the bed to the dinner table, from the bed to the bathroom, and he served her. So that's the ring I'm talking about here, and that's the ring I'm getting ready to, to give to Janelle. And so we had dinner, and I'm kind of nervously thinking, how am I going to do this, you know? And she's looking at me like, what's going on here? You know, you're acting weird. And so I said, let's go to the Starbucks at REI downtown. And so you know where the, the two rivers, the Platte River and the Cherry Creek, uh, combine there. They confluence together. They come together. And so I said, let's get our coffees. And then I said, let's go outside. And she's like, it's cold outside? Like, and I said, well, the drink will keep you warm. You'll be okay. And she's looking at me, what are you doing? I'm, I'm making this up, man, as we, as we go along. And so we went down, and I saw the two rivers I said, very cheesily, sweetheart, as these two rivers have com- combined, God has intersected our lives together. I meant it, and it really is cheesy looking back on it, but, and, you know, and I, I got down on one knee, and I explained the ring, and it's the, it, the, the power, you know, that was behind that of servant love and committed love from my great-grandfather to my great-grandmother. And I explained, told her, her that story. And then 
that was the first time I had ever said I love you to her was the night that I asked her to marry me. And you might think that's crazy, but in my life, I'm convinced, and she said yes, by the way, so just so if you're wondering, I'm convinced that that word is misused, and, and, and love is not a word to be just thrown around lightly. It wasn't until I know we were going to commit our lives together was I going to talk about love, and I want to demonstrate what love, you know, really is. So we're in this series called One Word, and as I was praying about what to talk about and teach on Sunday mornings, I, I just look at our world, and I see how angry and on edge our society is politically, ideologically, COVID, blah, blah, blah. And, and we're already grouchy anyway as a society. And what we need to hear and think about and have our hearts stirred with is that word love. Love is the word that describes God, the gospel, and describes how Jesus wants us to live, how he wants us to live in love. And it's not easy. It's hard to, to love unlovable people. It's hard to, to love in an unlovable world. But as we learned last week, love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Love is something we do. It's not something we feel. And what we do in love truly, truly remains. And so today, as we're going to just keep tearing apart 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, we're going to learn that love bears and love cares. In other words, love is patient and love is kind, right? It bears and it cares. Love is patient, love is kind. And when I was looking at my notes, I saw the Care Bears. Remember the Care Bears? So it's, we're not talking about the Care Bears. And, but we are talking about the Wonder Twins. Remember the Wonder Twins? They were the extraterrestrial cartoon superheroes, and they could, in the shape of a waterfall, and they would turn into a waterfall when they needed to be. Anyway, love, patience, and, and kindness Patient and kind, to me, are the wonder twin dynamic duo of love, the one-two punch, the Batman and Robin of love, so to speak. You guys know who Batman and Robin is? Okay, good job. I got you there. So the first thing I want to look at is, well, before I even tell you this, so on Friday, I came over here to do some stuff and get ready for Sunday, and I drove home, and driving up our, our, uh, into our neighborhood, we have this big hill. And there was two Chevy Equinox. We own a Chevy Equinox. There was two that were driving about 12 miles an hour into my neighborhood. And I had to sit there and follow them. And I literally was like doing one of these. Like, come on, man, why are you going? So you guys do that too, right? And so I was all frustrated and impatient. And I drive into our driveway, I park the car, and the Lord was like, what are you preaching on Sunday? Oh, patience. Okay, you might need to, to listen yourself there. But that, that's the first thing. Love is... Love is patient. Love is patient. Do you know that that word patient literally means a long way from anger? You're a long way from anger when you're exercising patience. You're a long way from exploding. Several years ago, we had a, some Diet Pepsi that we had put out in the, the garage, and temperatures changed real quick like they do in Colorado, and it froze. And I went outside to grab a, a, a Diet Pepsi, and I put the can on the counter, and I, I realized it was frozen, so I thought I'd let it thaw out, and I, I put it on the counter, and about two minutes later, 
it went boom, just out of the blue and exploded. Diet Pepsi all over the kitchen. And, and it was like, and I thought, man, that's kind of what we are, though, when it comes to anger, right? We push it down with pressure, pressure, stress. And then somebody rubs us wrong or a situation is difficult, and boom, we just blow up. Love is a long way from anger because it's patience. I thought I would show you this video I found to see, uh, you know, probably represents how we all feel at times. Check this out. If someone prays for patience, you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? At this rate, we'll never get to the fall. You're perfect. And that is final. Did you hear me? I'm gonna be short. Often inanimate objects I lose my patience with. Like I can't fix something, which is rarely anything, but if a computer, the little spinny wheel goes and you're trying to print something or load a page or the internet's not working, I mean, it's, I tend to get impatient at those kind of things. But here's what I want to tell you. God is patient. He's a long way from anger. It says in uh, the Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. What a beautiful thought. God's slow to anger. And when God gets angry, he's angry for the right reasons at the right things. He's not like me, angry that the Rockies keep blowing games or something like that. And get mad, like, is this really worth getting mad over? Especially this year. But <laughs> I digress. You know, we have a, a saying that we say in our culture. We'll say, that dude has a short fuse. What does that mean? Quick temper, right? They're very impatient. That guy has a, a short fuse. And I, I want to give you a, a mental picture 
in your mind of what a short fuse looks like. Look at this picture. So, in your mind, picture that flame of that match, and that's your fuse, and then anger is ready to burst like the, the dynamite there. That flame represents the people in your life that drive you nuts. It represents the circumstances that are difficult and you're finding yourself trying to exercise patience with God or circumstances or difficult people. That flame represents that. How long is our fuse? How long, how far away from anger am I when it comes to these circumstances? So here's the next thing I want to drill in your mind. You can buy fuse like up hundreds and hundreds of yards of fuse and, and use it that way. To me, that's God. That's a long way from anger. And, and for us, like in your life, God's convicting you right now of being impatient with your kids, being impatient with a coworker, being impatient with him. And love is patient. Love is patient. It's a long way from anger. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. We're all prone to impatience, especially when we're stressed. If life is chaotic around us, you're going to be impatient with your kids, impatient with your situations, etc., because life brings stress. So how do we express love through patience? Because that's truly what, what love, it, it, patience is an expression of love. As we unpack this colorful chapter, so inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us what God is like, because God is patient, and we're going to see in a bit, God is kind, and that's who he's created us to be. So how do we do that? I think the first thing is we need to remember how patient God has been with us. How many know God's been patient with you? He's been certainly patient with me. The Apostle Paul, before his Acts chapter 9, Damascus Road experience, he was a religious terrorist. That's who the apostle, that's the guy who wrote this, was inspired to write 1 Corinthians 13, was a religious terrorist who thought he was doing God a favor by exterminating Christians, people who followed the way. And hopefully you know the story. Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifying with all the believers. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And he changes Paul. Paul is, is transformed. And he becomes the mouthpiece of the gospel to the world. And he takes the gospel, the good news about the life, death, resurrection of, of Jesus. He takes that around the world and is used by God. And he says in 1 Timothy, he says, yet for this reason, he's just talking about how sinful he was. For this reason, I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So here's some patient reminders, some things to remember as you're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you. We have to remember a couple things. First of all, we're all wired differently. We're not all wired the same way. We don't all see life the same. We don't have the same values, the same interests, the same temperaments. 
You know, we're different. And how boring would it be if we all were the same anyway, right? God, God loves that diversity in who we are. In, in, in first service, we, we dedicated little Channing Sump, Brian and Jill's little boy. He's so cute, man. Like, I was tickling his feet while I was praying for him. He was laughing. It was a very cool child dedication. But it said we read the scripture in that dedication, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That obviously means training in, in the Lord and training in life, but the, the Hebrew for the word train there really has this more colorful element to it of, of find out his, this child's gifting. Direct this child in the way God wants to express himself through, not the way we as parents want to express through our kids, but how has, find out how has God wired your kid. Put them on that path, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. They won't, they won't you know, deviate from God's purpose and plan. So that's important. We all have a God-given temperament. You can't do anything about your temperament. God gave you the temperament that you have. Whether you're introvert, you're extrovert, you're this, you're that. God made you and wired you in your mother's womb. It is what it is. You adapt your temperament to different people and to different situations. You learn how to do that as, as we mature. Your personality has been shaped by your life and life's experiences. That's shaped your, 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 your childhood, what you were, and your, if you were an only child to child with big family, what number you were, all of these factors shape your personality. And then your character is being transformed daily into the likeness of Jesus. So temperament, can't change that. You adapt it. Personality's been, been shaped by life. And your character, that's always, we're always striving to become more and more like Jesus. So it's important that we remember that we're different. When I was a kid, I was extremely shy. You believe that? Like I, I was so shy. If I was in a room of people that I didn't know or didn't didn't have a trust level with, I didn't say a word. You can't get me to shut up now. But back then, I just I wouldn't say anything. And we moved a couple times, and I had to go from school to school and meet new friends and all of that. That's the worst for a shy person to have to go through. But and, and that's all part of God morphing us. So you're wired different than the people around you. That's a first reminder in how to develop patience. The second thing is our differences create misunderstandings. When you're different than somebody, you don't see life the way, you don't have the same the way they do, or you don't have the same values, that, that automatically is going to create misunderstandings. It's not on your notes, but Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. That's from the school of patience. And then Paul says in Colossians 3.13, make, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I think in marriage, friendships, any relationship, it's so important to try to understand how God wired your spouse, your kid, your friend, because you're not wired the same. But the more you, you strive to understand each other, then <clears throat> the, the less impatient you're going to be with one another. I think it's interesting. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. 
That's assuming that we all have faults, right? We do. And our, somebody else's, you might see somebody else's difference as a fault because they don't think like you, act like you, value what you value. But he says, make allowance for that. We've had different upbringings, different circumstances, male and female, there you go, they're different. Um, communication styles, all of this creates opportunities for misunderstanding. And I think the sooner that we stop wanting everyone to think the way we do, um, that's one of the most annoying things about the times we live in. Everybody knows what's best for everybody. And that's frustrating, right? It's easy to become impatient with somebody who thinks they know what's, what's best for you. But the more we realize that, that we don't have to have everybody think exactly the way we do, the more patient we'll be. Another patient reminder is we grow at different paces. We grow and mature at different paces. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word grow is an obvious indicator that, that we're not all going to always be in the same place at the same pace. So we're, we're, we're growing. I've been, this next month will be 28 years of me following Jesus. October 26, 1992 was the day the lights went on for me about the light of the world and who he was and I was going to follow him. Little by little, you mature. Little by little, you grow. I think I've grown more in the last year than I have in in a long time. It's been, it's, so it's, it's, we're at different paces. And we have different expectations for different ages physically, right? Little Channing, he's like a little bobblehead, you know, he, he can't, he's just an infant, so his head just, he's all a little pudgy, squishy little guy, and his head just kind of bobs around, but he's laughing the whole time. And he, uh, you know, he's cute, but a year from now, we expect him to physically look different, right? If, if he doesn't, something is wrong with him, and then we, he'll be walking, and then he'll be playing t-ball, and then he'll be blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, it, maturity and growth is expected. So when it comes to being patient with people, both emotionally and spiritually, we have to remember we're not all in the same place at the same pace. In the South, in the Bible Belt, they have a saying for someone who's, who's new to following Jesus. And when they do something stupid or say something immature, they say, oh, he's young in his walk. He's young. I love that. I think that is a great thing to be able to, to look at somebody and say, oh, he's growing. He's young. And, to, and we look back at ourselves and things that I thought and said years ago, I was young in my walk, you know, and I, I just, you don't know what you don't know. And then the last reminder, patient reminder is we don't know what God is up to behind the scenes. We don't know what he's up to. We don't know what God sovereignly is up to in, in circumstances. We don't know what he's up to in people's lives. We're not in people's minds and hearts to, to have all of that. That's why we need to be patient with one another. God is always patient and waiting. There's a worship song called He's in the Waiting. I love that song, that God is in that waiting part where, where you're believing God to answer a prayer, you're believing God to move in your life, you're needing an answer, and he, he seems like he's a million miles away, he's in the waiting. He's in that conforming and working in our lives. It says in Romans 5, 3 through 4, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. God is using your difficult circumstances, God is using difficult people in your life to conform you and develop you to develop a heart of patience, to be patient like He is patient. He's developing love in us expressed through patience. All right, let's go to the other wonder twin. Love is kind. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. The definition for kindness literally in the Greek means others-centered. When you're kind, you are others-centered. It's, it's where we get our word philanthropy. Uh, philanthropic is, is a, the big word for someone who's others-centered and kind. Now, I think when it comes to patience, it's obvious when we're impatient. It's not so obvious when we're being unkind. And I think this, we have to, have to be honest with ourselves in this. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot. God within the Father, Son, and Spirit, God is first and foremost a relationship. A rela- an eternal relationship between the Father and Son through the Spirit in a perfect others-centered relationship. Always preferring, serving, loving. That's the nature of God and God's love and how he expresses that love. Kind people are concerned less about themselves and more concerned about others than they are themselves. I think kindness expresses, when when kindness is expressed, it builds other people up. The opposite is tearing someone down. So with our words, with our actions, with our facial expressions, whatever it is, our Facebook posts, right? We can, do, we can tear people down. We're not building people up. Kindness builds others up. That's what Jesus is doing. He wants us to build one another up. And I think in this political season, man, regardless of where you stand, we need to be kind and show the world what Jesus is really like. We need to show the world the kindness of who Jesus is. So that's, that's my first point in how do we become more kind or express more kindness. We need to remember how kind God has been to us. The more you recognize how kind God has been to you in the person of Jesus Christ, the kinder person you will become. We talked two weeks ago when we were finishing Titus, in Titus chapter 3, that when the the kindness of our God and Savior appeared, talking about Jesus, He is the kindness of God. And so He's been so kind to you and I in Jesus. We are joint heirs with Christ. Everything that is His, He has shared with you and I. How many think that's good news? We don't don't focus on that enough. He's given us his very life. He's brought us into his relationship with his father. Not one like it, but we're in that. That's that's been a game changer revelation for me. We're not trying to work into this relationship by being good boys and good girls. Jesus brought us in through the Spirit into that relationship. It's beautiful. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And then in Colossians, Paul again says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should you. The more you and I focus on how much we've been forgiven, the less we'll focus on what we need to forgive in others. And let that sink in in your marriage, in your home, at the workplace, the more you focus on what, how much you've been forgiven, the less you're going to focus on other people's faults and offenses, and the quicker you will be to forgive. And then here's, I think, a real practical piece in becoming patient, kind people, living love out through patient and kindness, is, is we need to abide in the king of kindness. He's the king of kindness. And we need to abide in this relationship with him. More than just a Sunday hour, it's a a daily relationship with the king of kindness. You become like who you hang out with. You become like who you spend time with. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we're going to be like him. He told his disciples in John 15, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The abiding of, of the, the branch in the vine, there's got to draw life by being connected. That's that vital, maintaining a vital relationship with Jesus. And listen, he never goes anywhere. We're the ones who go the, try to un, unconnect sometimes. And to me, it's important that you hear this, that we need to stop trying to be like Jesus. We need to stop trying to be patient. We need to stop trying to love. And we need to train with Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Train with me. He is our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord, our everything. And so when we walk with him, when we read the Gospels, when we see how he lived his life, he is the full expression of what the Father is like in his earthly life. And so when we look at that and we see that and we abide in him, it's, it's more than just a Sunday thing. It's a daily thing, training with him. I've played more golf this year than I have because there's not much else to do, you know, other than, than that. And I, uh, I still stink at golf. I'm still very terrible. But I prove a little, improve a little, right, Barry? I mean, here and there. I mean, he's, he could vouch for me. I've played with Barry several times. I, you know, I don't have a whole lot of expectations, though, because if you play once a year, you're not going to be good at anything, you know, right? But the more you do something the more second nature it becomes. And so in in learning to abide in Jesus is not trying, it's training. And it's it's, it's daily letting him teach. To me, this is foundational. And again, 28 years of walking with Jesus, it's actually for me becoming simpler in that Jesus is the lover of my soul. And I abide in him and he abides in me. And it's a relationship. This isn't religion, as we were talking about. This is a relationship with a person, the living God. His love and kindness is in us. So the closer we get to him, the more we'll be like him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, there will be no fruit. 
But we're told in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, Jesus was, he was kind to unkind people. Think of the way the Pharisees treated and talked to him. He healed a centurion's, you know, his centurion's friend, and they were so cruel to the Jews, and yet Jesus practiced what he preached in loving his, his enemies. He was kind to unkind people. And you might say to yourself, well, Scott, I'm not Jesus. It's hard for me. You don't know what I've been through. I don't. But I know Jesus lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can do what Jesus did. We can live the way Jesus lived in being kind to unkind people. You have to focus on that. Not focus on your own strength. That's when we get in the flesh and we're not going to, it'll just arouse the sinful nature when we're trying to do better. It's allowing the Spirit of God to live in and, in and through us. Listen, I don't have it down. I promise I don't have this all down. Don't hear me trying to act like someone who's got it all together, but I'm learning. We're growing. There is no magic formula to become patient. It'd be great if you could take a patience pill every morning and you're just patient on how you drive and <laughs> patient with coworkers. It just doesn't work that way. There's nothing easy about being kind to unkind people or when someone's unkind to you. There is the Holy Spirit. And again, you become like whom you spend time with. And can I exhort you, please, family, don't just make your walk with Jesus be about coming to church on Sunday, in and out and then out there. Make spending time in his word a priority. If you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to have an understanding of what life's about, it's in this book. He's the living word of God. He's the revelation of God. This was preserved for us to grow. And I want to exhort you to be in the, the Word. Some of you are intimidated by the Bible. Some are just apathetic about it, let's be honest. And neither are a good excuse not to spend time with Jesus. Because as you learn and begin to see who He is, you're going to be blown away. All the promises of Him are in this, in this book. And if you, if you need a place to start, read the Gospel of John and start reading the Psalms. And just... Dig your way through it. Listen to, to the Bible on, on the way to work. And then spend time praying and talking to Him. Spend time praising Him. And watch as you abide in Him what He, he does. A couple weeks ago, we were sitting at, at the dinner table, and, and Janelle and I and Chandler were playing, Chandler's middle daughter, and we were playing cards and talking, and oh, the Holy Spirit just started moving. And um, he does that at our kitchen table often. And I told Chandler, as her dad, I said, Chandler, you know, I, I genuinely like your company. I genuinely love your company. She started bawling. And it was a cool daddy-daughter moment to see that connection. And we're close. But then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Scott, I genuinely enjoy your company. Your father relationship with you, I enjoy your company. And some of you don't believe God enjoys your company. 
you think he's just mad at you, frustrated with you. He's not. He genuinely enjoys your company. So in my exhortation to you to spend time with him is enjoy him. It's not a, it's not a checklist when we spend time with the Lord. It's, it's relationship. And the more you get to know him, you'll, know, you'll begin to know who you really are and who you are because of him, then you'll see people around you way different. You'll see people as, as God's creation, his children. You get along better. He enjoys your company. Take him up on it, all right? You can accept my challenge. Oh, let me see some heads nod. Yeah. Spend time in the word. Spend time talking to him. Watch what he'll do. Let me pray. Lord, we... We love your company, your sweet, beautiful presence, God. There's nothing like it. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are watching and that are in this room right now to understand that connection, Lord, how much you love us, what you've done for us, who you are in us. Lord, it's that time with you, that connection where you bring healing, you bring hope. When we feel hopeless, when we're lonely, we always have you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us to the Father. Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling in us. Heal, Lord, relationships that have been impacted by impatience, anger, and, and unkindness. Speak to hearts, speak to minds, I pray. Lord, we pray in, in this world, this culture that's so impatient and so unkind. Lord Jesus, you're the light of the world, and you called us the light of the world, so we pray that that light would manifest people would come to know you and there would be healings and, and your presence, Lord, just changing people's live, lives because of who you are. We pray to be people that are, that are led patiently, hopeful, rising up on the inside of us, God. Lord, I pray your blessings over each person. Lord, may you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious. Give us your peace and joy that we, to, to live in day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.